This morning, I want to talk to you out of the book of John. So if you've got, um, if you've got a Bible app you like looking at or an actual Bible, or you just want to put your glasses on to look at the screen, um, <laughs> that's also okay. I know I've, I've reached that point now. I'm going to put John chapter 12. Uh, I, want, I want to talk to you about a topic of conversation. I'll introduce the theme in a moment, but let's orientate ourselves. Now, uh, before we start reading, I just want you to think about this. Uh, do, do you know who Jesus' best friend was? Okay, let's leave it there. Do you know who Paul's best friend was? Okay, I think you need to listen up then the next 20 minutes because you aren't confident in the answer. And I want to talk to you today about how important it is that everyone here has a certain kind of best friend. Can we talk about that? So let's orientate ourselves in Scripture. John chapter 12, six days before the Passover. That would be like now-ish. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was held, was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served. Very interesting that, by the way, we could talk about Martha serving and the last time Martha served, long story, good story. While Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with Jesus, then Mary uh, took, uh, uh, took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her hair. There's a little piece there that I, I didn't read. Uh, Judas has a break, nervous breakdown at, at that point. We have talked about it in the past. It was very upset. You could have sold the money and given it to him. So it literally says that. You should actually read what it says. He said, it says there, uh, because he wanted it for the poor, but the next verse says, but uh, Judas was upset because he was taking money out of, so you know, that was, uh, ends badly. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was then came, not only because of Jesus, but also to see, let's pause for a moment. Isn't it interesting that a man on his way to his death had a man with him who had been there? Have you ever wondered why Jesus put Lazarus through that experience or God put Lazarus through the experience of dying and being resurrected? Could it be perhaps that Jesus needed companionship, a friend of encouragement on his journey? So Lazarus went somewhere to come back to tell Jesus God will wait for you there. I've been there. I know where you're going. He is faithful. I'll come with you. I know about a cave. I know about a tomb. I've already done this road. I'll stick with you closer than a brother. You see, in his professional life, John was Jesus' favorite disciple. But in his heart life, Lazarus was Jesus' best friend. And I think there's something very powerful about that. And so uh, the story continues. Uh, not only to see Lazarus, by the way, poor Lazarus, I do, I do feel a bit for him. Watch why. Um, whom he raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. I mean, how many times? Just 
Leave the guy alone, you know? Uh, they thought, look, we deal with Jesus, but listen, we can't have anyone resurrected. Not Jesus, not Lazarus. If your cat resurrects, we're killing your cat. We don't want any news of people coming back from the dead. It doesn't work for our storyline. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going uh, uh, over to Jesus and believing in him. And the next time, uh, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches, went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. I've titled my message today, An Encounter with Encouragement. I think there is something missing in our lives that we must deliberately solve. And that is the incredible power and need for some people in our lives or for us to be people who carry a spirit of encouragement into the world. Discouragement is easy. Most people can even wake up discouraged. Nobody had to give it to them. They just woke up and late at night the devil came and discouraged you. But encouragement Spiritual encouragement is a powerful, powerful thing. And I think when the enemy, our enemy, comes to kill something, the thing he wants to kill is the voice of encouragement. They were after Lazarus because Lazarus had an encouraging story to tell Jesus. And they were after him to rattle Jesus. Maybe if we got rid of the guy who keeps telling Jesus it'll be okay, then Jesus will back off from his journey. And maybe you're enemy is coming after the person or the attitude or the culture of encouraging one another in the faith, because if we take the encouragement away, you might diminish your acts of faith. And I'm a little worried about that. I think that we need a spirit of encouragement to occupy our hearts, not to encourage anything, because sometimes encouragement is also to encourage people to stop something. I didn't think that would go down very well. It went down okay, I thought. Because encouragement isn't me agreeing with everything you're going to do and supporting you. That's not encouraging. If somebody said to me, look, I would like to go swimming with sharks this afternoon. For me personally, I'm not going to encourage that. Now, somebody might. Maybe it's your business and I'll be in big trouble after the service. But I'm personally not going to encourage you. I probably won't pray for you either because I feel that there is a... a there is a step of wisdom there that we can apply before the prayer. You know what I mean? I mean, there's some things you don't pray about, hey, you just run, hey. You know, when Potiphar's wife went for Joseph, you know, wanted to have an affair with him, he didn't pray about it. He just left. You know, some things you don't even have to pray about. The answer is in the question. Can, can we just say amen? It's like, hey, I don't need a word from the Lord about that. I'll be working somewhere else, thank you. The Lord brought me here, but the devil's trying to keep me here. Thanks, cheers. There are some things we don't have, but we can encourage one another in the Lord. And I think that's missing in society in general. And I think we need to step into that arena and become a well of encouragement to one another and an encouragement of healing to the world. You know, some people do not need more training. They just need encouraging. You can't train insecurity out of you. You have to speak it out through statements of faith, 
and statements of encouragement. And we have been robbed in many ways of our encouragement, our spirit of encouragement, because that's the work of the devil. And there Jesus is. He's got his work life with his favorite disciples or apostles, but there he also is a man and God needing a friend uh, who has an encouraging spirit. Lazarus is powerful in that way. His story is about being with Jesus in the most crucial moments of his life. Joshua chapter one uh, from the Amplified Bible says this, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be dismayed or intimidated for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I found an interesting, in fact, my friend Nathan and I had a chat about this uh, earlier. I find an interesting um, uh, modification of this has crept into the church. And that is the idea that if I go somewhere, then when I arrive there, there will be a blessing for me. But the biblical truth is that you are the carrier of the blessing. And so when you walk somewhere, you bring a blessing with you. And your role is to carry it and unpack it wherever you go. And where it is not received, you take it away and you move somewhere else. This idea that God is hiding blessings all over the place and then through an act of hide and seek, you'll find them is not true. God blesses his children and his children become a blessing wherever they go. You've got to get going. You've got to get going. Stop looking for something outside of yourself and start saying, it is Christ in me, the hope of glory. Look, without Christ, uh, I don't think that there's anything eternal you're going to find in you. But with Christ, you find everything you need for life and godliness. And we have to start to address that idea. Be strong and courageous. This is Joshua. What a mighty man in the Bible. And even so, God had to send an angel, a few angels to him and say, snap out of it. Be strong and courageous. You've got this. Get going. There is something better for you. We're living in a world of fear and intimidation. Do not be intimidated. Do not be dismayed. You've got this in Christ. Christ got you and he's got your future. Let me encourage you that your loss is not eternal. Your your benefit is on the other side of that sacrifice. Step into it. Step up and step on. Maybe there is something to be said for this moment that even though Jesus six days before the Passover was about to have the toughest few days of his life, he had the right people in the room with him. You need the right people in the room with you. You need an an encouragement and edification and exhortation. You need the right acts of faith to be in the room with you. Philippians chapter two, also from the Amplified Bible says, therefore, It's a rhetorical question, by the way. Therefore, uh, if there is any encouragement and comfort in Christ, and there certainly is in abundance, that's why I use the Amplified. If there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship, what we share together in the Spirit, if there's any great depth of affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. So, the author writes this passage of Scripture saying, you know how you were encouraged? Help somebody else's mind come right and be encouraged. You know how you went through affliction? Share it with somebody so that when they go through affliction, they'll see that the smile will come back 
and the joy will return. Let somebody else know what you've been through so they can get the same mindset as you've got. Do you know right now, perhaps the most crucial struggle humanity faces uh, in a carnal, superficial sense is mental health. And I'll tell you what the antidote is to a mental health problem, a spirit of encouragement. You see, when we don't have somebody to tell us, I've been there and it'll be okay, then you might think I'm alone in the storm. It's necessary for people who've gotten through a storm to speak up and say, I know a storm calmer. I know a life changer. I know a soul healer. Somebody has to say it. A spirit of encouragement is needed. I asked you if you knew who Paul's best friend was. Paul had a best friend. His name was Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas. 27 times in the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas are mentioned. They were best friends in every sense. They even had a fight together. It was such a big fight, it made it into the Bible. None of you have had a fight with your best friend that made it into the Bible. What happened was just, it's a joke, but it did happen. Uh, what happened was uh, Paul uh, was uh, ministering to the Gentiles, Barnabas, a Greek from the island of Cyprus. I'm just telling you, that's also in the Bible. Is your town mentioned in the Bible? I bet it isn't unless you're from Bethlehem up in the, up in the bet it isn't in Bloomington. Uh, so, so a, 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 a Cypriot uh, from the island of Cyprus, and they'd gone to minister to the Gentiles. But then Peter, one of the other apostles, who still was a little bit racist in his heart, when he came, he was a bit uncomfortable to eat with the Gentiles. He wanted the Christian Jews to eat separate with the non-Christian Jews. And poor old Barnabas didn't know which way to go. He was a bit of a man pleaser, the poor fellow. So he followed Peter's example, and, and Paul said, hey, stop it. And they had a bit of a fight. And he took his other buddy, Mark, um, and they went and preached somewhere else for a little while. And then they fixed it later, just so you know. They fixed it. Why am I telling all of that? Because the human condition was in the Bible all along. It's okay. You don't have to be perfect to be powerful. You just have to hitch your trailer to the person of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And he will redeem and restore all the stuff we get wrong because guaranteed we're going to get stuff wrong and he's going to repair it and he'll redeem it as long as we stay following. It was Paul and Barnabas um, from the island of Cyprus. But, but Paul, Paul, I don't know why I keep saying that. Paul, Paul, Paul's, <laughs> Paul's name means um, a rock. It's like Simon Peter. Uh, Paul's name means, actually, you should look this up. This is awesome. Paul's name means a little thing that amplifies to a big thing. I think that's quite nice. That's a nice name. You know, Barnabas' name means the encouraging one. Son of encouragement, the encouraging one. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, who wanted to do great things in his life, needed Lazarus to encourage him along the way? And Paul who was going to be the author of half the New Testament and the establishing of the church around the Gentile world, needed Barnabas. You need an encounter with encouragement. And we all need 
to either be or have a best friend like that. Can you say amen to that? There's something to be said for how to fulfill that. A lot of people, uh, I'll read the scripture about this in a moment. I don't know if you know how Barnabas became Paul's best friend. Not sure if you know how that happened because it's such a cool story. This little Cypriot is so cool. Hey, You'll remember that Paul's original name was Saul. And Saul was anti-Christianity. So he was going around killing Christians. While he was doing that, Jesus visits him. And we call it the road to Damascus, a Damascus experience. Jesus visits him. He repents. I'm sorry. Uh, what am I doing? Scales fall from his eyes or actually they get onto his eyes and they fall off through a prophet later. And now he changes his name. Hi, uh, I'm no longer Saul, I'm now Paul. And he, he goes to churches and he says, would you mind if you let me share on Sunday about my experience? And the churches are like, yeah, I don't know about, I don't know about that. Weren't you killing us last week? Aren't you, aren't you, the, this is literally in the Bible. Aren't you the guy who was murdering us? Now you're asking for our database. Oh, not so keen. So guess what? A man in the room who had listened to the story of what Saul, now Paul, says it happened. Barnabas goes to the apostles and says, I've met this guy. His faith is real. I vouch for him. Let him preach. And the guy who wasn't a preacher opened the door for the greatest preacher of the New Testament. We need a spirit of encouragement. We need to open doors, cheer people on, champion their calling, fan the flame, speak well of, edify and build up, and let God do the rest of the work. So the question is, how then should we have an encounter of encouragement? Over the next five minutes, I want to share with you three ideas on how to receive encouragement and also how to be encouraging. And my first one is a bit dramatic. Like <laughs> the phrase is dramatic. So I know that uh, it needs an explanation. So I, I think we need to all become a little bit more prophetic. We need a prophetic expression. I know it sounds like pathetic, but it is not. It's a cheap joke. Prophetic. Now, the reason why I say this very dramatic word is that when people picture prophets, they either think of those Old Testament guys wearing camel skins and sort of roaming around with sticks, sort of commanding fire to come down. Don't be that guy. Please don't be that guy. It's very distressing to us all. Or they think of a fortune teller kind of, but Christian version, you know, and we've all had those guys. I've been prophesied over. I should have been married 10 times already by now. If all the prophecies, I was in a conference once with 5,000 people, the senior pastor, I was sitting in the front of a senior pastor, preaching pastor called me up and he held my hand up, which one? And he said, there will be a ring on this finger in 12 months. 
The most traumatic 12 months of my life was every person I met, I wasn't sure. Every person who met me wasn't sure. My parents heard about it. They were raising funds for the wedding. Uh, and I, 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 I'm not emotionally ready to unpack that. But, but, but I think the word pro- prophetic or prophet has been deliberately by the devil ruined. So that now, instead of doing what it's supposed to be, we're just scared of it altogether. The Bible's very clear about what prophecy is. Very, very clear. And it's connected to the word encouragement. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, a chapter I highly recommend. The saints should know that chapter. 1 Corinthians 14 says this, uh, verse 3, but on the other hand, the one who prophesies does this. They speak to people for edification. In other words, to promote their spiritual growth. And they speak words of encouragement to uphold and advise them concerning the matters of God. And they speak words of consolation, compassionately comforting them in difficult times. That's the definition. It's from the Amplified Bible. I didn't insert my own words there, you know. I don't, even though I'm from the island of Cyprus, I don't feel the liberty to sort of add a few of my own words in there. Prophecy in its foundation. Now, I know there's higher grade prophecy. I do know that. And I'm in ministry because higher grade prophecy confirmed something in my heart. But we don't need to talk about that here. I think what we talk about here is let's start at the one plus one level of prophecy. Prophecy is you pick up something is off and instead of criticizing it or avoiding it, you ask God for a word to speak into it. That's what it is. Now, somebody else doesn't pick up anything, but you pick something up. Now what you do is you don't avoid it and you don't criticize it. Now, that's just doing the devil's work. You rather do God's work. Neutral is avoiding it. Criticizing it is doing the devil's work. So let's go here and, um, and do God's work. So what you do, you encourage on godly matters. You give advice and you give comfort. Now, some people in the room here, no amount of preaching I do will do as much for you as a hug from a best friend. Just need, need one. Just need somebody to say, it'll be okay. Jesus, I know you're going to die any day. Now it's going to be three days. Let me tell you what happens in day one. Lazarus talking to Jesus. I think we need to be prophetic and have prophetic people. And let's do the standard grade stuff before we try to become experts in the higher grade stuff telling people about their next year and all that. There are some people who've got a calling in that kind of space. I don't deny that. Uh, I, I believe in the work of the, the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, but let's start in the commonplace. You know, some people are evangelists with a certain kind of gift. Like they just, they walk past the cashier in the shop and they lead them to Jesus, like, just like that. But all of us are evangelists on a certain level. Just invite somebody to church, say something about your faith, pray a prayer over grace. We don't all have to operate there to give ourselves permission to just operate here. And I want to encourage this church to be prophetic in the encouraging sense of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Can you say amen to that? 
Because I'll tell you, I, I, we, we all need it. I, I need it. Let me tell you, I need encouraging. And I need to be an encourager. I mean, Jesus did. I mean, we'll get to one of the favorite moments. I mean, surely at this point, your mind is thinking, what about the disciples at the Garden of Gethsemane that fell asleep? I'm going to talk to you about that because I think they've been unnecessarily criticized there. Acts chapter 9, 26, when he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of not believing that he really was a disciple. However, Barnabas took him, took him to church, brought him to the apostles and described to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road to Damascus and how he had spoken to him and uh, how at Damascus Saul had preached openly and spoken confidently in the name of Jesus. So the church uh, throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed great peace without persecution, being built up in wisdom, virtue, and faith, walking in the fear of the Lord in the comfort and encouragement of the Holy Spirit, the church continued to grow in number. What a story. Also from the Amplified, hence the extra words. Uh, what a story. Here's Barnabas saying, how wonderful is it that the man who was persecuting us and was in charge of persecuting us is now a Christian. I've got to get this guy into the right rooms. I've got to tell the church, God started a revival. We're in a new season. Let him tell you his story. I heard it. It's genuine. Let him speak. And there the church enjoyed an expansion of growth under the atmosphere of encouragement and comfort from the Holy Spirit. I don't think revival is possible without an atmosphere of encouragement and comfort. I think when someone prays a prayer, even if it's not perfect, you cheer them on. I think when someone steps out in faith, even if they're a little wobbly on their feet, like a newborn baby, you champion them on. I think when you do that, God breathes life into the house. And I think we need to ask the Lord to teach us to have a spirit of encouragement. Secondly, Barnabas is a great example to us because of practical application. This will be my last story about a Cypriot today. But I, I resonate with Barnabas because I see some of my own characters. I think it's in the island. I think when you drink the water there, you become like this. Because that's not the first time Barnabas is mentioned. Do you know when the first time Barnabas is mentioned in the Bible? Bet you didn't know. You know, it's today so full of new information. You're just going to go home and say to your friends, you know, that guy came up with all the goods today. There was a guy in Acts chapter 4 who saw that the people in the church had some needs. And he knew that the church didn't quite have enough to meet the needs. And he remembered that he had a plot that he had inherited from his family. So he sold the field, gave the money to the church to take care of all the needs of the people in it. And that man was Barnabas. That's where he's first mentioned in the Bible. He put himself out there practically. Sometimes encouragement is take someone for a meal. You don't even need a prophecy. You just need a meal. Sometimes it's someone borrowing a car and filling it with fuel. Okay, that's, a, that's as good as selling a field in rand value at the moment. I'm aware, I'm aware, ever-evolving price tag. Sometimes it's coming to someone's house and instead of expecting lemon meringue, 
bringing groceries, putting them in the fridge. That's Barnabas. We need a spirit of encouragement. Can you say amen to that? Is this message getting through to you? Yeah, thank you. Just to prove it, because I've got one more point, and I'm really trying to finish at 10 past, and I'm, I'm, I'm really failing at that. Uh, there was a need in Acts chapter 4, verse 34. There was uh, not a need, uh, a needy person among them, rather. There was not a needy person among them, because those who were owners of land or houses were selling them and bringing the proceeds of the sale uh, and placing the money down at the apostles' feet. Then it was distributed to each as everyone had need. Now Joseph, a Levite, a native of, the, uh, of Cyprus. Ah, it is true. He was surnamed Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means sons of encouragement, sold a field, and brought, um, a field belonging to him and brought his money and set it at the apostles' feet. A very practical. And then finally, um, and I think this is, I think the crux when it comes to our worship of Jesus over Passover, I'm going to be on daily devotions this whole week. I look forward to unpacking it. Um, I want to do Holy Week with you at 7 a.m. every day, uh, live. Um, you have to have some people in your life who've been through some failures and some pain. Because if you avoid those people, you will lose the benefit of their lesson. An encouraging person is often somebody who's been through a painful lesson. And sometimes you don't know this, but your painful lesson is weaponry stored up for somebody else one day. You're going to meet somebody who's going to need to hear your victory. And you will be God's ambassador in that moment. Matthew chapter 26, I'll close with this. Matthew chapter 26, then he turned to his disciples, found them sleeping. <laughs> Garden of Gethsemane. He said, couldn't you uh, men keep watch with me for one hour? He said to Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Do you know Jesus did this two or three times? The Bible says, he went and prayed, they fell asleep again. He went and prayed, they fell I don't think Jesus was just angry with them. He was teaching them a lesson. You're not always going to feel like it. And your flesh is going to say, I don't feel like it. But if you'll push through, you'll see the miracles of God in your life. Even in his death, Jesus was teaching his disciples, keep a watch, God's at work. Keep a watch, God's at work. Don't let your flesh win, let your spirit win. Don't let the flesh rule, let the spirit rule. Watch and pray, for God will do great things. Would you please stand with me? <clears throat> Thank you, Stephen. I, I really want to encourage you. I know it's school holidays. Um, the school's closed on Friday. And I know that the varsity is closing on Thursday. And I know we're in that time of the year. But I want to encourage you, don't, don't rush off. Stick around. There are people here to pray for you personally. You may need an encouraging moment, an encounter with encouragement today. So don't rush off. Or you want to have communion. We'll have it together on Friday. And then we'll baptize people on Sunday. Or you want to stay for a cup of coffee. Best coffee in town by far. Zero load shedding. But I, I want to pray this thing into our hearts. Is that okay? And into our church, into the character of our church. 
Lord, thank you for the testimony of Lazarus. Thank you for a friend who who died and was brought back to be an encouraging support to Jesus. Thank you for Paul and Barnabas, a man who held a door open and when people doubted, he cheered them on, spoke well on Paul's behalf, celebrated his ministry and his calling, brought encouragement into the house by taking care of people's needs and used their own pain to become purposeful in taking care of someone else. Will you please release a spirit of encouragement into this house? Will you please make us prophetic in our encouragement? Will you please make this place a place of edification, exhortation, and comfort. Holy Spirit, will you encourage the downhearted tonight, today? And would you teach us that our state of mind is made healthy when we're in the room with encouragement? And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, would you give God one last shout of praise or thanksgiving?